Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I am not going to lie to you, this is kind of our casual time of the year. We're pretty relaxed right now. We are in the midst of uh, looking back on Georgia winning a national championship. We are post-national signing day. We are... Uh, still a few weeks away from the start of uh, spring practice. So this is kind of that time of year where it's just kind of fun to just be relaxed, not to be too stressed out about anything. I, generally speaking, I try not to be too stressed out as it is. But during this time of year in particular, you definitely don't want to be uh, too stressed out about anything. And so with that in mind, sometimes I'm going to play defense against people who want you to be stressed out because there's always going to be somebody that kind of does. And uh, there was an interesting article at ESPN.com the other day, and Connor Riley actually wrote a story about this at DogNation.com, which you should check out. And it was looking at all their preseason top 25 teams. And I actually like when ESPN does this. I think this is really fun and really interesting. But looking at all their preseason top 25 teams and just looking at the uh, the challenges, the biggest question mark for all of these preseason top 25 teams. I've always loved this kind of programming because it's one of the ways it helps us get through the offseason. Hey, let's have a debate. Let's have a discussion. And that's always really cool. But given what Georgia is now, reigning national champion, the big question mark that ESPN has for Georgia is kind of interesting because it is in relationship to that. And ESPN, in the midst of all of this, suggest that hey maybe that championship now that you've gotten it like we've seen be true for other programs in college football history or other programs around the rest of the world of sports or things like that 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 maybe um that becomes a little bit of a problem now that you get a little too full of yourself maybe you're a little too fat and happy we've seen the notion of the championship let down be a thing in sports before we've seen that and espn questions whether or not that could also be true for georgia here as well let me show you this from espn alex scarborough is the writer and he says at the pages of espn.com about georgia post-national championship that complacency cannot creep into the locker room no matter how talented the roster, roster might be. In other words, the complacency kind of becomes your enemy here. The complacency kind of becomes the kind of thing that could prevent you from enjoying the success that you want to enjoy. And we should point out here for a moment that while I, I'm kind of half joking about all of this, there is a factual basis for what Scarborough brings up. In fact, I've thought about this. Think about the SEC alone in, like, say, the last 15 years. There have been three different instances in the last, what, you know, within within the last less than fifteen in the last fifteen years, where coaches have won a national championship, and two years later, they weren't even on the job anymore. Uh, Urban Meyer won the national championship at Florida in two thousand eight. By twenty ten, he was leaving the Florida program, citing health concerns, wanting to spend more time with his family. That, that ended up being a lie, but. Two years after winning a national title, he was gone, and a lot of Florida fans were sort of glad to see him go. That's how quickly that changed. Same thing happened for, uh, uh, you know, uh, Gene Chizik at Auburn. Wins a national title in 2010. Uh, by 2012, he's on his way out the door there. Gus Malzahn shows up for the 2013 season, and it's almost like whatever goodwill had happened when you won the national title in 2010. By 2012, it had completely evaporated for Auburn. They were basically the worst team in the league, and Gene Chizik was kind of run out on a uh, rail. And a lot of that started the turmoil that sort of exists Auburn for Auburn even uh, to this day. But the point is, the national championship high did not last very long. And even more recently than that, 2019, LSU won the national championship I mean, you can make a case that lsu might be most impressive team of all time certainly on the offensive side of the ball they probably are the most impressive team of all time but two years after they won that national championship all of a sudden 
Ed Orgeron's also out of a job there as well. So the notion that championship complacency can create some problems, we have factual evidence of that in the SEC. Shortly after the Urban Meyer title in 08, shortly after the Gene Chizik title in 2010, shortly after the LSU title in 2019 led by Ed Orgeron, all three of those coaches are gone. So the championship hangover and how you reboot your program after you finally tasted that success, that is a very real thing to consider. Uh, and, and Kirby Smart's talked plenty over the years about, you know, the disease at a place like Georgia where complacency can creep in, even on an individual basis, far removed from the notion of team success, simply because you got so many pats in the back. So many people are like shows like this are always telling you how good you are that all of a sudden you are, you know, it's just easy to just buy into that too much and not want to work as hard as you need to. So Kirby Smart's kind of already thought about that kind of stuff in the past. But here is where, and once again, I'm, I guess, about half kidding, half serious. Sometimes topics like this just give us a chance to play something that's just kind of fun. But I truly believe that Kirby Smart is probably as well set up to handle the challenge of complacency, maybe as anybody is, because he's young, he's energetic. He truly, I don't think, falls prey to this. Whereas, like, and we talked earlier this week i forget which day it was about jimbo fisher already patting himself on the back because he had the number one recruiting class you know kind of wanting to take a bow for hey y'all look it's, it's like the ron burgundy line hey everybody come look see like, come and look and see how good i look like you know jimbo fisher kind of has that thing going on a little bit it's like hey everybody come look at this recruiting class that i put together you know kirby smart just doesn't have much of a much of a uh a tendency to do that kind of thing even when he could take about even when it's justifiable to to earn some praise to accept some praise it doesn't really want to do that very much and so you know i think about what alex scarborough lays out at espn.com what kind of awaits georgia on all of this and i sort of sort of start to imagine what kirby smart might might say back to this and how he might try to make sure that you flush that out of the georgia program and it kind of gives us a chance to go back and <laughs> relive something that's mostly ludicrous but still maybe just a little bit funny do you remember when the halftime speech from the florida game emerged remember when that happened when um uh, when it, it was leaked out what smart said right after georgia got on that huge flurry to end the first half and built the lead and kirby smart didn't want the team to get complacent after that because that's kind of what that was right this was hey georgia's extended a big lead here at the end of the first half but i want to keep that same edge going for the rest of all this there as well and it was so profane it's almost like cartoonishly profane it's almost like one of those things of how could anybody use that many foul words over the course of a couple of sentences that you have to you have to really work to kind of squeeze all of that in there and around here we say yeah, we kind of do a family-friendly show and you know we, we can obviously play you know that kind of language so i had my own spin on how to make this a little more palatable for a family friendly audience but uh it is kind of appropriate i, I think because if you want to know how kirby smart responds to the idea that the team could be complacent now that it's won a national championship let's go back and relive what kirby smart has said to his team when he was also maybe worried about a little bit of complacency this is mostly ridiculous but i'm going to play it once again anyway you know what guys flipping Flipping. Flipping. Stop. Behinds. We Flipping. Gentlemen. So that's obviously a pretty ludicrous take on my part on what Kirby Smart said back then. But let me ask it in kind of a serious vein. Do you think that dude is going to let this team get complacent? 
I mean, do you think that guy who's like, I want to break these gentlemen? Do you, do you think the coach that uttered that phrase is going to be like, oh, yeah, y'all won the national championship. You know, uh, let's coast through spring practice. Hey, let's let's take an extra trip to the buffet table. Hey, let's have a little ice cream for dessert. You think <laughs> you think that's the way that guy is wired? Of course it's not. And, and, and really the reason why I do play that, uh, in addition to the fact that, I, you know, I just like to make fun of myself from time to time. But um, part of the reason why I also play that is because what Smart said to the team at halftime at Florida is the same kind of thing that I do think he'll say to this team here to start this calendar year as well. National championship was last year. That was N'Kobe Dean's national championship. That's Jordan Davis's national championship. That's Samir White and James Cook's national championship. That national championship belonged to those guys, those team leaders. They're all gone. Lewis seen gone. Uh, this national championship now, uh, our, our opportunity for a national championship, this is for a new crop of players, uh, a new crop of guys who step into the roles that Dean and Davis and Wyatt and, and Seen and Cook and White and all those other guys, uh, Jamari Salyer. This is a national championship opportunity for guys who are stepping to that role now. Smart says, okay, yeah, it was what, 33 18 uh, in, the, uh, in the national championship, but it's zero to flipping zero right now. Zero to zero against Alabama, zero to zero against Oregon, zero to zero against the other 11 opponents you'll play in the regular season. It's zero to flipping zero right now. And I do think that's the message. And so for those of you that enjoy this time of year and, you know, the start of spring practice and the way in which Kirby Smart kind of conjures up the edge that he thinks his team needs. I mean, isn't that the, the message that what ESPN brings up, what Alex Scarborough, the writer, says is is not necessarily incorrect that for every team that wins a national championship, there is that need to battle complacency and complacency became such a problem for previous SEC champions, Florida after 08, Auburn after 2010, LSU after 2019, that the coaches weren't even employed 24 months after the title uh, occurred. That's a real thing that you have to be worried about. So you better have that zero to zero mindset. You better view every opponent that you face as a hated rival that you do want to break to use Kirby Smart's phrase about that that that's the kind of aggressive edge you have to have to make sure that you don't get so pleased with yourself that all of a sudden you don't provide a very impressive defense of your national title and while it's kind of a funny way to play the audio I think in a general sense that's probably how George approaches all that so wanted to mention enough to top the program let me also shift to this we talked yesterday uh, a good bit about jamal adai now on the move uh going to become miami's defense backs coach he made that official with a message to dog nation yesterday on his own social media accounts and you're left to wonder okay what happens now as far as the person that replaces uh adai here on the georgia staff and kind of how all of this works and you know, we've kind of talked about, well, is this going to be one of those things where you end up having split responsibilities where a coach is working with cornerbacks, another coach is working with safeties. Obviously, it seems like Will Muschamp, given his presence in the recruitment of so many of these uh, big-name players, he's going to be a, a part of all of this. That You're going to have a little bit of, uh, you, you know, a little bit of chatter going on about how Georgia fills that 10th spot. It seems like right now that a guy that was an on-field coach at one point in time, Scott Cochran, who had to step away for some personal reasons as of now, maybe not quite yet stepping back into an on-field coaching role. Maybe he will at some point in time, but that doesn't seem like that's likely to happen right now. And so a lot of questions are going to come up about, well, who are the guys then most likely to enter into this conversation about a replacement for a die on this Georgia coaching roster. We at least have one name that we can officially say is now 
into the rumor mill. One name that you can officially say is kind of into this discussion. It comes via a reporter for On Three Sports who covers Auburn. Uh, Justin Hokinson is his name. We actually referenced him last week because uh, Justin, who I don't know at all, was the first to mention uh, uh, you know Brian Harson being on his way out and who knows that may end up being true we're still watching that story play out but justin has been referenced on our show already within the last uh week justin hokinson is his name he says sources say that auburn defensive back coach zach etheridge is a top candidate for the open defensive back position there at georgia etheridge has a pretty good reputation kind of an interesting coaching uh story that's kind of led him to be where he is right now but this is i guess the first official report we have of anybody being in line for a, a dies replacement and i don't think this means that etheridge is definitely going to be the guy necessarily i don't have any reason to believe that i believe we may see more rumors and reports of other names potentially mentioned but this is the first official one right now when it comes to uh, who could be the replacement for jamal Adai, we see zach etheridge there from auburn so kind of an interesting situation here another coaching position to be filled a name emerges as a rumor for who it could be and as far as what's happening next with all of this, well, we'll talk to Mike Griffith about that coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, let me say hello to you. It's Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Thanks for being with us. Will you join us at 945, first and 15 on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, or 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Of course, Radio Noon, Athens, Sports Radio 963F, podcast form wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just happy to have all of you with us and a part of what we are doing here today. As I mentioned a moment ago, we'll get Mike Griffith here coming up in just a bit. Looking forward to being able to do that. But before we do that, do want to get ready to go all around the doghouse. That's what this segment's called, yeah. Around the doghouse, and it's furnished by our friends at Rooms to Go. And I want to talk about a completely different subject for a moment before we get ready to say hello to Mike Griffith here today. I think that there is a belief out there that there are other head coaches who are embracing the concept of NIL, name, image, likeness, payments for players. I think there is a belief out there that there are some coaches who are embracing that more than Georgia coach Kirby Smart currently is. That that Smart is just not quite so sure how involved he and his program want to be and stuff like this. Now, I'm not in Smart's head. I, I, don't, I don't know what he truly thinks or I don't truly know what the inner workings are I, I know some boosters ha- have said that there's been a challenge kind of going out of hey you know get more involved in this and, and and do these kinds of things but but you know what the real thoughts what the real feelings are about this are sometimes difficult to decipher but when you listen to to what smart has said about some of this kind of stuff that there is a little bit of maybe skepticism about how all of this uh is currently impacting college football and how it's likely to influence the sport moving forward let me give you an example of this let's go back to last wednesday on national signing day smart asked about the nil stuff acknowledging that it is a very tangible factor in recruiting but smart i think in the in the midst of that discussion also raised some important questions about the current role all of this is is playing and maybe this is a suggestion that it's maybe not all good decide for yourself this is smart from last wednesday um, and I think sometimes they're getting misled into the numbers that are actually out there. Um, and it becomes propaganda, uh, which recruiting is always propaganda, right? It's how you use it. But uh, the sell, when you're selling the development of a young man from Jordan Davis and you're selling the look what he became, that's much more enjoyable to sell that story than to sell what he made in NIL. 
you know, because you, you number one, you can't guarantee that. Number two, uh, to each kid, it may it may apply differently. Some guys are at developmental positions and they're gonna have to work really hard. But I'm not of the opinion kids should be making decisions based on that. And you're probably recruiting the wrong guy if that's all they're making their decision based on. So I think a lot of colleges are having to look inside out at who they recruit and why they recruit them because 10% of these kids were all gonna recruit. They're the, they're the best of the best. It's the next group that you better be careful who you're recruiting because they're going to make up a majority of your roster. Something that's really interesting from Smart, and I mostly agree with everything that, that Smart says there, but the stuff that you may highlight is the fact that Smart says it's more enjoyable to recruit the kind of player that's impressed by Jordan Davis's journey at a developmental position, someone who came in with very little accolades, leaves as a likely first-round pick, that someone who wants to be at Georgia for those kinds of reasons, Smart says that's a more enjoyable story to tell and maybe even a more enjoyable recruit, the kind of person that might be swayed by that. Smart says directly that he doesn't think that that kids should be making their decision on the basis of NIL. And if you have a player that's too interested in name image likeness, that may be the kind of player that you don't necessarily want at Georgia. And as I said before, I may be more traditional than some of you are, um, but that kind of pro tradition argument from Smart sounds really good to my ears. Maybe it doesn't sound quite so good to yours, but it sounds pretty good to my ears. I, I think that that a reluctance, a slow embrace of NIL is probably a little better for Georgia than some of the other programs who seem to just want to wrap their arms around this as much as they possibly can. Now, whether you agree with that statement or not, I do think it's fair to ask, well, how come? Why is it, if it is true, based on the circumstantial evidence from that statement, that Smart's a little slower to embrace NIL? Why would that be? Why wouldn't? Because gosh knows, Georgia's a huge fan base. There's a lot of rich folks uh, connected to UGA. Uh, you know, you know, Georgia for the most part get what get what it wants, and in, in every instance, Smart himself seems to get what he wants. In a lot of instances, why wouldn't Smart just be pedal to the metal? Why wouldn't Smart just be as aggressive in pushing nil stuff as anybody is? Well, as I said before, I'm not going to try to put myself in Smart's head and and know exactly what he's thinking. I'm not going to do that. But let me offer you a suggestion here for a moment. I mentioned Ed Orgeron a few minutes ago. Orgeron is not everybody's cup of tea. He is a, an interesting guy, everybody would say. And some people might say, good coach. Some people might have some questions about whatever else. He's clearly unemployed right now. So something didn't quite go perfectly. But Orgeron was doing an interview the other day on the radio show WJOX in Birmingham. This is the Cole Kubelik and Greg McElroy show. Kubelik's an SEC network analyst. McElroy's an ESPN analyst, you know, both players at Auburn and Alabama. They do a morning show there on WJOX. And uh, Orgeron was on the show and he was asked a question about the Auburn situation. And obviously we know that, you know, there's always been a long time battle between head coach and, and boosters when it comes to Auburn. Very high profile, very, very public boosters and in their influence, some would say meddling into the Auburn program. But Orgeron also tied that into the new NIL era in which we live in in college football. Now, let me let you hear this. And I want you to think about this. The stuff that Orgeron says here, if it's true, this could possibly be a reason why Kirby Smart might be more reluctant to embrace the NIL era than some coaches appear to be. Let me let you hear this. You can judge for yourself. Orgeron talking about NIL boosters influencing coaches. Yeah, well, I've been fortunate to be in some places where the head coach had total control. I think that's where it starts. You know, like Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll, 
those guys had total control of the championship programs. And then, uh, obviously, those guys on the side, they help. You know, I, I know they call the <clears throat> athletic director. They call stuff like that. But when the head coach has total control of his program, I think that's key. Now, as this comes into play, I don't know what's going on in Auburn, I don't, but I know this. The NIL, more money's coming into play. The more people going to have to give money, some of them are going to want control. I guess I guess some of them want to coach. I don't know. I don't know that stuff. <laughs> but the places I've been, I haven't seen it personally. It's never trickled down to me. I've always had great relationships with those guys. But I know this, that uh, I learned this from Monty Kip. Coach is coach. Players play. Administrators administrate. And boost is boost. <laughs> I think that's all very important to consider here. That in life, there's no free lunch. That it'd be easy to say, if I'm a coach, hey, I can get better players. We just pay them. Let's get as much NIL going on here as we possibly can, and I'll get the best roster I possibly can. That'll all be great. But things don't come with no strings attached very much. Things don't happen in life without consequence. There is no free lunch. Now, think about this for a moment. Who is your boss in life? We all have a boss. Everybody has a boss. Who is your boss? The person that signs your paycheck is your boss. So if you are a college football program and you're going to get a roster together on the basis of paying those players to be there, no matter how you do it, whatever, who is the boss of those players? It's the person who signs their paycheck. And so when you have a paid for roster, if you want to take this to the the extreme, if you have a paid for roster, then all of a sudden the person that's writing those checks is essentially an influence on the life of those players in addition to the coach and maybe even it's maybe even a competition for influence there as well and i just think if you're kirby smart who has a history of showing some wisdom it is at least possible that he recognizes that there too that it's maybe not possible in 2022 to have no relationship with nil it may not be possible to to be able to navigate the sport without embracing that at least to a degree but, in, but being the one that embraces that the most creates a whole bunch of extra cooks in the kitchen. All of a sudden, you got a lot of extra folks kind of weighing in. The, exact, the analogy I've used before is when Bill Parcells in the NFL wanted to have some say over personnel decisions. Uh, he said, listen, if I'm going to uh, cook the meal, then I ought to be able to shop for some of the groceries. And you know, the, the modern version of that would be, hey, if I'm going to pay for the ingredients, maybe I ought to have a say in how those get used. As Orgeron said, boosters want to kind of coach too, and that's not an uncommon thing. And it's been easy to keep those guys at arm's length before. All of a sudden now, if they're the ones that are writing the checks to get the players on the team, keeping them at arm's length, maybe that may be quite so easy to do anymore. So We'll never know why Smart does some of the things that he does or what he's thinking uh, as he's doing some of those things. But I would invite you to listen back again to what Ed Orgeron said there a moment ago, that Orgeron, candid as he is now that he doesn't have a job, might be reflecting a lot of what coaches are maybe saying privately behind closed doors and conversations that we're not always privy to. That is Around the Doghouse, and it's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And, of course, uh, listen, a big game coming up here uh, this weekend. Obviously, a lot of you like having folks over for that. And it's always embarrassing when you have somebody in your living room. You're like, you know, you got like 
eight people, but like four places to sit. That's always kind of a tricky thing. And somebody ends up sitting on the floor. Well, listen, when you go to rooms to go, you can prevent that from happening. You can get actually the perfect collection of furniture, the the perfect suit to go for whatever you're trying to do, whether it be your living room for the big game this weekend or anything else or uh, dining room or outdoor uh, patio furniture. A lot of folks taking advantage of their outdoor living living space. Also bedrooms, children's bedrooms, adult bedrooms, whatever else. Uh, All of that at rooms to go. You can begin your shopping experience online if you want to rooms to go.com or you can stop by and see them in person and just uh, touch and feel sit lay on all those great furniture choices whether it's the individual piece the full room that's after all what rooms to go is famous for just find them online rooms to go.com or in store at rooms to go for a lot more on that great to have rooms to go furnishing around the doghouse for us here today all right before we're done we got a couple things we're going to get into uh there was a big moment last night in the sec that i don't think that you want to, to miss we'll deal with that Uh, A coach that's not in the SEC, but has certainly been a part of the SEC conversation for a long time, had said something in the last 24 hours that has kind of got a little bit of controversy and and certainly got a lot of folks talking. So uh, we'll get that here coming up. And while I'm mostly in a good mood and, and, and mostly pretty relaxed this time of year, days like this in particular, there is a story that is out there and it's been well reported on and it seems to be kind of on the way in some form or fashion and i don't think it's getting as much attention as it should we've endured a lot of big changes around the world of uh college sports recently and maybe the biggest change of all is still coming so we'll talk about that before we're done i think you need to pay attention to this so we'll do that then but for now a lot of coaching movings going and coming around the georgia program let's find out more about that right now as we talk to dog nations mike griffith and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. So boy, oh boy, a lot of coaching changes happening around the Georgia program right now and curious to get Mike Griffith's thoughts on a lot of that. I guess we'll start in the in the present tense and kind of work our way backwards maybe a bit. Um, Mike, what did you think of Jamal Adai's departure on his way to miami and just all the uh i guess the connected dots from that a die after one year no longer with the program yeah i mean you know he came and you know he did a good job for georgia i think he was a good hire i think he was obviously a, a important part of the national championship run and and closing out some recruits brought tyke smith along with him um you know but uh, a different opportunity right a different opportunity that he's looking forward to at a a place that's kind of up and coming, um, you know, and, and let's just be frank. It's not easy to work at Georgia. It, there's a, there's a very high level. Uh, there's a very high expectation. It's a very intense and pressure filled job, even more so when Kirby smart is your boss, when he's your direct supervisor. And, you know, Brandon, I don't think this is any different than um, when defensive backs coaches would go to work for Nick Saban. And, and I always go back to a story Mark D'Antonio told us at Michigan State about the first year that he coached DBs under Nick Saban and that he really didn't get to do much coaching, that, that Nick pretty much took over meetings and coached it up the way he wanted. And then it was kind of in year two and year three, you know, where D'Antonio was, was really allowed to you know kind of coach him up and, and be involved. And we know from being at the practices, you know, Kirby has a very verbal presence. We know that Kirby oversees. Uh, those safeties closely, and the safeties in the corners work together a lot. Uh, you can imagine that with Coach Muschamp there, uh, another coach that specializes in coaching DBs, 
Um, you know, that, that that's a tough job. Now, all that said, it could be as simple as a guy wanting to go to Miami. You know, maybe that's a place where, um, you know, he feels like that, that he can have more more success or recruit better, too. There's a new head coach there in Mario Cristobal. Um, it's kind of ascending, um, you know, and it, it could be that maybe he wants to become a coordinator and he feels like the path could be easier or, you know, could give him some opportunities there uh, for advancement that maybe he wouldn't have at Georgia when you kind of look at the pecking order and you see that right now Muschamp and Glenn Schumann are the co-defensive coordinators. Certainly looks like Schumann would be the next man up uh, for a full defensive coordinator role. So uh, there's plenty of room to speculate. There's plenty of reasons. What we do know is that Georgia's on the verge of hiring their fourth defensive back coach in the last five years. So speaking of the speculation, I guess I'm going to speculate my assumption would be that if Georgia really wanted to keep Jamal Adai, it would have had every opportunity to do so. The fact that it didn't would seem to tell me something, or it's at least an invitation to read into something that I'm going to do. A guy like this leaving after one year, that if Georgia wanted to keep him, it probably could have. Well, yeah, I mean, we could have said the same thing about Charlton Warren, and, and certainly there was some evidence there and that, you know, Charlton and Cortez Hankton were the only two coaches not to get raises on the 2019 staff. And that, that suggested to us that Kirby wasn't uh, pleased with their performance. I mean, again, I mean, everyone else on the staff got raises. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not, B.A. You know, it, it's it's really hard to know um, whether or not a die was just, you know, done with Georgia or whether Georgia was done with a die. It's, it's hard to read those tea leaves. What we know is that, you know, this is a program that, that won a national championship. Um, what we know is that there has been a lot of turnover in the secondary, both with coaches and players. And uh, we know that Georgia's not for everyone, and for better or worse, however people want to interpret that. I mean, this – and I can tell you just from covering other programs and, you know, just being around the national scene that, that this, is a, this is a tough place. Like Alabama, this is a tough place. I mean, when you're at the top, and that's where Georgia football is at. When you're at the very top, when you're on the top of the mountain, um, you didn't just get there by, by accident. It took a lot of hard work. It's a very, very intense work environment. There's not much margin for error allowed by Kirby. Um, you know, he's, he's a tough coach to work for. And, and so is Nick Saban. The great ones are. The great ones are. So I don't think Georgia needs to apologize for being Georgia, certainly uh, I don't. I don't think fans would want them to apologize. I don't think Kirby's going to apologize. So I think it's just best to say that George is not for everyone, yeah. and he found an, a, a really good opportunity at an up and coming program uh, that looks like they're in for a big bounce back. They've made some really impressive hires at Miami, and, and we all know there's a lot of talent down there. So uh, I don't know what that work environment will be like for Jamal, um, but I know that the year that he had at Georgia was really special. And uh, nothing will ever take that away. Uh, there are reports out there, Zach Etheridge from Auburn, in consideration for this. Uh, do you have anything to add about how Georgia might look to fill this candidacy, or not candidacy, fill this opening right now? You know, just you know, based on history with Kirby, you know, he's not a guy that that pushes any panic buttons or you know runs to the you know help wanted line. I mean, Kirby typically slow plays this kind of thing. If Etheridge is the right guy. Um, not sure what's going on with Brian Harson or how invested Etheridge is. You know, I could see where that makes sense, but I've seen other hires that would make sense before that didn't come to fruition. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to, um, you know, try to pretend I know something I don't. Uh, what I do know is that Kirby will take as long as he needs to take. And if it's a day, it's a day. If it's a month, it's a month. 
um, as we've talked about, there's plenty of expertise in coaching uh, players for the secondary right now. I mean, who's to say, um, you know, that they'll even hire a secondary coach? There's a lot of things they could do with that position, uh, particularly with Will Muschamp there as a co-defensive coordinator and Kirby himself someone who oversees the secondary. So I think there's some flexibility in that position. Um, it, it would open the door for Scott Cochran if they were to, uh, you know, rearrange the staff. I, not, not to say that that's going to happen. I don't know if that is or isn't, but I would just say that um, there's a lot of possibilities for how Kirby might handle this. Well, I don't mean to get too deep in the weeds here, but I actually do get a lot of questions related to an issue brought up there, which is, you know, Teams play, Georgia included, you know, nickel coverage more than 50% of the time now, which means you've got five defensive backs in the game at all times. There were points also in the recent past where Georgia was playing with six defensive backs a good number of time there as well. In other words, teams just play a lot of defensive backs, uh, Georgia obviously included. And we have seen teams in recent years, Florida last year is an example of this, where you do have those two assistant coaches devoted to defensive backs, whereas in previous coaching staffs like what has gone on here Georgia you would have had only the one defensive backs coach and so you know a lot of folks have kind of asked me lately about that given the fact that you're playing just so many defensive backs now in the modern game that maybe having two assistant coaches devoted to that position group somebody taking safety somebody taking cornerbacks that maybe that's just a reflection of how the game has changed in terms of you know, hard for one guy to oversee all of that because you've just got so many defense backs in the game. Yeah, well, Kirby does that. Kirby Kirby oversees the secondary. He works with the the uh, defensive backs coach. So Kirby is like a position coach, is what I'm saying. He's, you know, he now he floats around a little bit, but but Kirby Smart works very closely with the safeties, and I think that's what gives him the luxury of only having one DB coach because he himself is a DB coach. He works very closely. When you're watching drills at practice, Kirby sure. will be working with the secondary. So uh, I see your point. That's not to say that he couldn't add a third, you know, and especially with Muschamp. Muschamp worked with the secondary last year too. Sure. So you really had three guys working with the secondary last year, which you needed because you lost, what, eight, eight or nine guys the year before, either the transfer where you had five guys go to the NFL, four drafted, and the fifth was a, a free agent. And then I think you had four transfers. So you had nine players leave your secondary, essentially. A tenth just quit football altogether. I can't remember the, the freshman's name. They had to convince to come back, and then he just quit again. Forget his name, Brandon. You, you might be able to dig up that freshman's name from, from 2020, 2020 or signing, I believe. Anyway, or maybe it was 2021. But, but the fact is, you, you had a lot of newness, and so you needed those three guys overseeing it. I think you'll have a lot of newness again. So I could see an avenue where he does hire a DB coach, and continues to have him and Muschamp and the DB go to work with that. Um, assuming that Muschamp stays a position coach, I, I'm under that assumption. Maybe Muschamp will step back and be an analyst. I don't know. But right now, if if um, if it holds and Muschamp and Schumann are co-defensive coordinators, that indicates to me you know, that Muschamp's still going to be working with a position group, and that will probably be the secondary. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. If you've got Kirby and Muschamp, working with the secondary, the safeties in the corners and the star, um, and then you could move, because I believe Mustang worked almost exclusively with the star last year, and Adai did the corners and Kirby the safeties. But there's a lot of different ways you could slice it. And, you know, Kirby said in the post game that he wanted to do more of delegation. That would open up the door to hire a DB coach, as you're suggesting. Um, you know, or, do, you know, you've already, you've already hired another outside linebackers coach in place of landing, so... 
that kind of tells us how that's going to fall. But I, again, I could see it going a lot of different ways. I think your logic is sound. I think you need to have two people back there coaching the DBs. Uh, the fact that Kirby's one of them, um, will he continue to be that hands-on in the secondary? I, I don't know. Um, again, you know, he's a guy that slow plays things, doesn't rush into things. And uh, they may be having that discussion right now, you know. And, and then we have to, again, we have to go out Scott Cochran. Does he come back as the special teams coach now that Muschamp is a co-defensive coordinator? So to finish things off, you mentioned it. Chudira Yuzo Deribe, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Oh, that is really good. I, am, I should have known you'd be the first to get no, that No, no, right. no, 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 Mike. you got to go back and listen to uh, last week. I absolutely <laughs> slaughtered that name on Friday. And no disrespect because people deserve to have their name pronounced correctly, but I absolutely slaughtered it on Friday, and I certainly didn't mean to. But the point is um, – Interesting in the fact that, you know, a little bit more out of the Dan Lanning, Trey Scott, Glenn Schumann kind of camp of not a real big filled out resume before getting hired at a place like Georgia. But those names that I all mentioned have all worked out uh, really well for UGA. What do you make of Georgia kind of grabbing a relative unknown, although by almost everybody's account, an up and coming, you know, fast rising name? What do you make of the direction that Georgia is going with its new outside linebackers coach? Love it. Love it. You know, thought that there were too many formers being hired. I mean, I, you know, I get why you like former players and, you know, they, you know, fans always want the former player to hire because they don't, they're not playing anymore. He's a coach now. We, they're judged differently. Now, in the case of, of BMAC and certainly Bobo, you know, these are guys with, with proven, you know, resumes. Um, but I, I like it in a younger group. I think you've got to have that. I think you've got to have that energy. I think that when Georgia went away from uh, Cheney and Tucker, you know, the staff got younger, and I thought that that brought energy. You know, I thought that that was, uh, again, I mean, you're trading experience for energy, but I feel like with Schumann there in the linebacking core, you know, Glenn is, you know, he's a young guy himself, but but he's he's an old soul, right? For, for a guy that's, what, 31, 32 years old, Schumann's been, if that, he's been around the block. He's been in the system a long time going back to Saban. So, um, you know, to me, you've got plenty of experience there. I think you need someone young and relatable uh, for the players. I think that you know, something that, that gets lost at times and people don't realize is that these position coach position coaches kind of turn into surrogate parents or, you know, big brothers, if you will, um, for these players. These players need an outlet. I mean, it, their schedules are just so incredibly packed. And we, we learned that doing the, the KM Squared show with uh, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, kind of one of the behind-the-scenes things we learned from our Dog Nation adventure with those two student-athletes was just how busy their schedules were and how things could creep up. You know, one night we had to cancel taping because a team meeting popped up at 10 p.m. at night, um, right around the time Eric Gilbert uh, separated from the program, interestingly enough. But, but my point is, these position coaches play a very important role uh, in these young men's lives. And, and I think you need to have position coaches um, that, that relate, that these players feel comfortable talking to, and can provide the right kind of leadership and direction. I think that's a, a real uh, secret and a real hidden importance to every program. So I like to hire Kirby. Obviously, he's done his homework uh, on this young coach and the energy he's going to bring, um, the enthusiasm. I think that's really important because, you know, Dan Lanning is a really, really, really big loss. Not just because he called the defenses, but because of Dan's relationship with the players. And he had that sort of charisma that made the guys want to play for him. And, uh, again, a very unique skill. And so I think this is a good hire. I like that hire. I, I, I wish I knew more about a die. Uh, B.A., frankly, I, I had heard 
that that Adai coached some things up a little bit differently than Kirby, and that you know Kirby might have you know as far as you know techniques and things like that, and um, you know, but but who knows? I mean, I'm sure every DB coach that comes in is going to do things a little bit different than the head guy, and and again, uh, Miami looks like a really really good situation for the coaches. When you look at that staff they're putting together, it's pretty darn impressive, and it's not hard to imagine. Uh, Miami being a team on the rise. Uh, Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here today on Dog Nation Daily. I know you'll have plenty more coming at dognation.com in the days ahead there as well. Look forward to reading that and hopefully getting a chance to catch up with you back here on the program again very soon, too. Look forward to it, B.A. Thanks, Thanks man. a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, I want to transition now to cruising around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. Boy, oh boy, man. As much as I love wearing the cold weather scarf and things like that right now, I cannot wait to be in the Caribbean. Cannot wait to be, you know, on the in the sand in the Bahamas on our beautiful Royal Caribbean cruise ship. I've actually got one coming up here pretty soon, which I'm really excited about. I can't wait to tell you more about that. And of course, big plans with Dog Nation and Royal Caribbean throughout the upcoming year there, too. So so many fun things to talk about right now. And my encouragement to you is to to reach out and learn about this year yourself about all the really cool things that Royal Caribbean is doing for you right now and I mentioned before you know probably one of my favorite things about Royal Caribbean is the fact that so many of these cruise itineraries include a stop at Perfect Day Coco Cay this is a really cool thing right now it's a private island it's right there in the Bahamas and there are kind of two sides to it there's a chill side there's a thrill side the chill side admittedly is the kind of thing I like to do a lot of uh, a lot of chairs on the beach, a lot of uh, if you want it like a floating cabana type thing, you want to taste a Bora Bora, you know, you, you, you kind of got that thing going on there. I, I really like that. But there's the thrill side as well. Uh, talking about an unbelievable water park, like right there to private on the Bahamas is only for Royal Caribbean uh, guests on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Uh, tallest water slide in North America is there. You've got this gigantic wave pool, uh, largest in the Bahamas. You've got the helium balloon. Now, this is kind of an amazing thing. So there's helium balloon that'll take you up three four hundred feet in the air something like that and you get a kind of panoramic view of that entire area there in the bahamas so many fun things to do it's just one of those things where like i i feel like you know i'm in kind of a stage of my life now where like when i go on vacation i like to have a little bit of a fun hook to it i, I like the you know the kinds of things that royal caribbean does i like to have that There's so many interesting things to see on the ship so many interesting ports when you go with the uh the you know perfect day coco Cay and so many of the ports that, that royal caribbean visits right now just so many fun things to experience as the ships are back on the seas and everybody's having a great time cruising again here in 2022 so when we're booking a royal caribbean cruise we're thinking about our friends at the cruise and vacation authority there as well because these are the kinds of vacations that have a lot of options connected to them. There's specialty restaurants to eat on board. There are, you know, various decisions to make about the kind of stateroom that you want. They're all there are all kinds of choices about what's the best for you. And so you really want to, you know, talk to somebody who really knows the ins and outs of all this. You know, maybe don't make the decision to kind of dive into this yourself. Let somebody else help this help you with this because it doesn't cost you anything to have someone who's an expert book a cruise for you. And that's where the cruise and vacation authority comes in. TCAVA.com. That's the website. TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Let them tell you all about the great stuff happening at Royal Caribbean today. And David and the whole team over there, they're UGA grads, so they're big dog fans. So that's really fun too. All right, so let me be serious for a couple of seconds. And you know, we don't try to do too serious of stuff too often, but I do want to make you aware of this. So um, there's a very interesting story, Ross Dellinger Sports Illustrated about a pretty complicated topic that I'm going to do my best to explain to you, that there is a labor relations type board that has petitioned 
uh, UCLA and USC to make the athletes who are, you know, athletes on those campuses into employees. So this is what Dellinger writes. I'm going to read you a couple of sentences. I want to give you a couple points about this. Dellinger says, on Tuesday, the National College Players Association filed unfair labor practice charges with the National Labor Relations Board against the NCAA office, the Pac-12 conference, and California schools, USC and UCLA, as single and joint employers of FBS football players and Division I men's and women's basketball players. The goal is to affirm employee status for the D1 basketball players and FBS football players. And the way that Dellinger explains this, and, you know, Dellinger's a good reporter, but the way that he explains this is, is this is another domino falling towards what could end up being basically employee status for everybody who plays let's just keep it a college ball for a moment because that's the sport we mostly talk about around here that in the very near future everybody who plays college football could be classified as an employee and here's what i find to be amazing about this is that stories like this would suggest and other reporting that's gone on is that this is just kind of a foregone conclusion that eventually this is going to be happen that this is going to happen but a couple of the key figures reported in you know who were quoted in the story people that weren't famous to me before this but they're quoted in the story i find this to be very interesting that they tried to get some players to kind of want to band together and kind of force this issue and want to unionize and and do all that kind of stuff they couldn't even find any willing participants among the ranks of players to do this they put out the call hey we're, we're trying to get this thing started here uh you want to join up and basically they just got crickets in response from players my point is I find it to be very interesting that there is a pocket of people out there that want to move away from the current amateur model of intercollegiate athletics for college football towards something that's a little closer to unionization, a little closer to employee status. And it just seems like this is a foregone conclusion that's going to happen. But if you look at public opinion polling, the average fan doesn't really want this. We know coaches and administrators don't really want this. But according to what's buried deep near the end of the Sports Illustrated story, there is not even any evidence that players want this. In fact, I've got enough anecdotal evidence based on the um, the players and the players' families that I talk to on a pretty regular basis that that's not what they want either. They want scholarships, and they want those scholarships to to remain. They don't want them yanked away from them. That's the thing that I hear um, families and players talking about a lot, and yet we seem to be very aggressively looking to to move away from that and for the life of me i can't understand why we are so quick to move towards something that there's not even proof that the majority of stakeholders in college sports even want there seems to be a a small group of activists who are very excited about this but the larger body of of people who are actually impacted by college sports it's not obvious that this is anywhere close to what the majority of people want, including the players this is supposed to help. Even this story would seem to suggest this. And you should read it for yourself at uh, uh, Sports Illustrated. I'll put a link to it when we post the show later on at DogNation.com. Beyond that, in this story where, for the most part, it is people who are pro-unionization, pro-employee status for, for college football players, in this story where those are the people who are quoted – one of the guys who's quoted in the story openly acknowledges that it's not obvious that that employee status would necessarily be better than the current model for the majority of players, and yet they are still pushing to do that. This is a story quoting pro-employee status for players, and one of the guys admits, yeah, it may not be better for everybody, but it's at least a chance to collectively bargain. Like, Why would we move to something that even a proponent of the move acknowledges might be negative for the majority of the people who are going to be impacted by all of this? 
I find this to be really amazing. And I would say the average fan doesn't really pay that much attention to this kind of thing because it kind of comes across a little bit boring. I certainly acknowledge that. But I do truly believe that the future of college football, as we understand, it's threatened by all of this. And I just think we got to we got to watch this kind of stuff, both in terms of the sport that we enjoy as a pastime. As, you know, a lot, for a lot of us, that's one of the ways we, we enjoy spending our leisure time watching college football. But maybe more importantly than that, there are a lot of people who a lot of young men right now. You can read all the research you want about how you know challenging life is right now for, for young boys trying to become men. That This is a mechanism for them improving their life. And there are people out there who are trying to take it away from them. And they can't even guarantee the thing they want to replace it with is going to be better. They just know that this thing needs to be taken away. Like, where is the logic in all of that? I think this is one of those things that you need to pay more attention to. And maybe if you read about it and pay attention to it, maybe you come to a different conclusion than I come to in all this. And if you do, that's fine. But I don't think any of us have the the freedom to ignore this because there are people who want to bring radical change to college sports. And the people who want to do it can't even guarantee that it's going to be better. They just seem to want to be in charge of it, which is a very, very scary place to be. All right, on a different subject, and this is admittedly far more fun. Boy, what a night last night, Bud Walton Arena in Fayetteville, Arkansas, as the Razorbacks knocked off number one Auburn. And there was the great moment at the end where you had the dunk and you had the lights going out and the uh, you know the pyrotechnics going almost like a WWE type thing. But when I tell you this crowd, and Arkansas has a long history of having a great you know basketball crowd, but it was probably hotter last night than it's ever been. I think we have a little bit of video we can show you. Let me let you see. This came from our buddy Tom Hart. It was actually calling the game play-by-play. This was his cell phone footage of the celebration at the end of the night last night. This is just truly amazing. Uh, great to see an SEC crowd loving basketball this much. <laughs> just amazing uh so great to be able to see that i mean the huge crowd you know guys after all these years i still love seeing the court get stormed i still love seeing that and admittedly when you watch all that take when you watch all that taking place that's probably enough of that for now but when you uh watch that's probably good on that but when you watch all that taking place it's hard not to be jealous of that right because you know, admittedly, Georgia basketball is not quite in that. <laughs> they aren't. They aren't the team getting upset, nor are the team pulling the upset. They're sort of a different category all the way around. And admittedly, when you see how much fun Auburn fans have been having all year long, and yes, Georgia almost pulled that upset on Saturday, maybe got harmed by some officiating late that prevented that from happening. But when you see the fun they've been having all year long, the fun that Arkansas fans uh, had last night, and they're in the midst of a pretty good season themselves too. Hard not to be jealous of that, but quite a night last night around the world of the SEC uh, in basketball. A couple other stories I want to get to very quickly here. So Jesse Minter, uh, Tennessee, I should say Vanderbilt defense coordinator now on its way to uh, Michigan. Uh, Not a ton to say about this other than that coaching carousel continued to spin here and all this. And I think for a lot of these coaches, you know, it's probably a no-brainer. If you get a chance to leave Vanderbilt, you're leaving Vanderbilt, go to a place like Michigan. That's probably a no-brainer just given, you know, how little of a priority athletics seems to be on that campus. But man, it's also a tough decision in light of a lot of the coaches that that got hooked up with Brian Harson probably wish they hadn't, right? And that's why so many of them left so quickly. And that for Jim Harbaugh, who kind of begins this year in kind of a weird place with his current employer, I mean, do you have any confidence about you know your long term plan, your long term trajectory to place like Michigan when? Harbaugh would, would seem to have been happy to take any NFL job he could have taken to get away from the Michigan situation after he had his pay reduced and he's kind of had conflict with some of his employers there you probably do take the Michigan job but sometimes these coaches have faced a tough decision of how much of my own 
professional future? Do I want to bet on a guy that, boy, I'm not even quite so sure how long he even wants to stay at this job. So I guess Jesse Minter dealing with that right now. I'll also mention this very quickly. So I guess this is the uh, Colin Cowherd show, I guess, that uh, Lincoln Riley goes on the Cowherd show. Colin Coward show and talks about Caleb Williams the fact that Caleb Williams leaves Oklahoma transfers essentially follows him to USC and you know Lincoln Riley's sort of legalese spin on all of this is no we didn't take Lincoln uh, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma we took Lincoln Riley names are hard sometimes uh lincoln riley says we didn't take caleb williams from oklahoma we took caleb williams from the transfer portal and for a lot of people they're like i'm not quite so sure that's exactly what happened here it certainly seems like you bolted the program and you took the quarterback with you as you left and i do think it's a fair question to ask of is what is this what we want college ball to be if we're going to have these wild west transfer portal rules um is it okay for a player like this to follow a coach when he goes and takes a new job somewhere else now on the one hand you know, it should if you're going to give a one time transfer to players, then, you know, Williams having a chance to freely use that transfer to go wherever he wants to go. That seems somewhat fair. If you're going to have the one time transfer thing, why not let everybody use it however they want to? Caleb Williams included. But I, I do think that the kind of outcry on something like this, when a guy like Caleb leaves and follows Riley to USC, does suggest that eventually there is going to be a, a larger discussion than, uh, that, that takes place about how exactly we want the transfer portal to work and can some of this toothpaste be put back into the tube where right now it really is just the wild west that you that you have no guarantee of anybody sticking around your roster for more than a couple of minutes it certainly seems like the williams thing has gotten a pretty big response the fact that he left oklahoma went to usc a lot of oklahoma fans are obviously bothered by all of that uh based on the way in which the current rules are written because they really aren't written they don't seem to really exist very much based on the current rule status williams is absolutely free to to do this kind of thing but is this what people really want college ball to be it seems like there's going to be a discussion about that ongoing for now that we'll make that cruise and run the sec courtesy of our friends at royal caribbean of course great time for you to enjoy a finished long drink right now a delicious beverage that uh, comes in four different varieties if you go to the longdrink.com you can find more about this whether it's the traditional comes in the blue can it's got the uh, gin kick with the grapefruit flavor or you got the long drink zero that's zero carb zero sugar long drink strong which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink cranberry which has got the nice cranberry flavor to go along with that good gin kick watching the, some football here this weekend with the big game on tap the uh, long drink is great for all that so check them out online thelongdrink.com and you can find out where you can pick some up and you can also try to decide which variety is the best for you you also speaking of the varieties have the eight can variety pack where you get two different versions of each of the four varieties of the finished long drink so that's a great thing to check out and try today thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that so a little earlier in the show mike was giving me some grief because Maybe I finally nailed the pronunciation of Georgia's brand new outside linebackers coach. But if I did, I guess I have to give credit to another one of our colleagues for why Chip Towers had this on uh, Twitter yesterday, the official pronunciation coming via Georgia on this. Uh, so uh, Chip says on Twitter, uh, for your information on Georgia's latest addition to the coaching staff, the correct pronunciation per the team is Shadera Yuzo Deribe. So I think, you know, yesterday, Connor Riley and I both were taking a shot at this. And I think we both had the uh, enunciation on the wrong syllable there on the last name coming in the middle syllable here. Deribe. 
I believe, is the way we're going to go with that. He's at Coach Deribe96 on Twitter, and he is a great addition, it would seem, to the new Georgia coaching staff. And thank you to our buddy Chip Towers for getting that pronunciation locked down for you. Let me also say this. Speaking of the big game, chance to get some action down on it. That's always a fun thing to be able to do. Our friends at BetUS got you covered on all of that. Uh, make sure you use the promo code DN125, though. 125% sign-up bonus when you use that dn of course stands for dog nation dn125 that means you put in money they put more money than you put in you are literally a winner before you place your first bet so big game this weekend you want to be on one of the sides money line or the, or the point spread you want to do the over under prop bets all kinds of cool things like that betus.com america's most beloved sports book and promo code dn125 to take advantage of the big offer make sure you check them out today so huge thanks here coming my way to you and the golden shoe going to be used for that purpose here today. So many of you have sent so many nice things in about Top Dogs. That's the book that we uh, have uh, out right now with our friends at the AJC. Some of you are starting to pick up your copies and you're sharing that with me. So I want to be self-serving for a moment and give some golden shoes related to that. We'll start throwing these up on the screen here a little bit. Brian Whitehead, thank you very much for sharing yours. He says, the book came in the mail. Now to get some autographs from the contributors. Well, Brian, I'd be happy to sign your book anytime, and maybe we'll get a chance to do that very soon. Brian, thank you to you. Kathy W., she just ordered hers. Thank you, Kathy, for that. Our buddy HBTFD89, Dub on Twitter says, got the incredible book uh thank you so much to all of you there as well one more of these to shout out uh marcel germain also uh shouting it out he even turns the book to the final page where my epilogue column is jermaine thanks for sharing that we'll give you a golden shoe there as well and for all of you who are picking up top dog certainly appreciate that how about lousy stinking gators gator hater updater been a long time since florida's won a national championship 4780 days and gator hater countdown dogs back in jacksonville 262 days from right now getting a win over those lousy stinking gators you'll have a great day we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily and on the podcast, I'm now the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Of course, R.S. Andrews, rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. Heating system, if you want to get yours tuned back up to factory fresh specs. Uh, plenty of cold weather still on its way. So check them out online, rsandrews.com for a lot more on that let me give you a quick announcement here on something and then i'll take a few comments so a lot of you tune in to watch us on sec country live every wednesday at 3 p.m i love doing that show we have big plans for sec country in the upcoming year however at this time i've got a few additional projects that i'm working on and some of those kind of create a little bit of a conflict with what we're doing at sec country so for a brief tenure and i hope to be able to provide you more of an update on this in the near future we are going to go on hiatus on SEC Country Live here for a bit. Can't wait to tell you about some of the cool new things I'm looking forward to doing on the SEC Country platform. But for now, some of my other obligations are going to take me away from that show at 3 p.m. Eastern time every Wednesday. So I uh, wanted to make you aware of that. And when new cool stuff is coming at SEC Country Live, we'll make you aware of that too. So with that said, let's get a few of your comments here for a moment. So, uh... Uh, uh, ODC on Twitter wrote into to me on this about the potential decision. We talked about this with Mike Griffith a moment ago too. Of hey, do you hire a cornerbacks and safeties coach? Do you have two coaches working with defensive backs? How do you handle all that? 
And what uh, the ODC says is it just feels superfluous, which is a very impressive word, uh, to hire another defensive backs coach unless it can be used to reach a new recruiting ground. He says, I watch your uh, uh, show every morning. Uh, Big Cali is his uh, name. That's awesome to hear. He says, thanks for the drama-free college football coverage. Boy, you talk about a great compliment. If I could be thought of as someone who provides drama-free college football uh, coverage, I am very happy to do that because there is already way too much drama in life as it is. And as far as the division goes of do you add a second defensive backs coach entitled to the program, I mean, I think it's a fair conversation. I think that that there's probably more than one right way to do this. I I think my only point is is the way in which – you use personnel on the field has evolved so much that, I mean, you want to go back to the 2019 SEC title game. Now, I'm not saying this was a game plan that should be replicated because it didn't work very well. But that day, Georgia played most of the game with seven defensive backs. So, you know, there have been moments when you play with seven. There's more moments than not when you play with five. There are plenty that you play with six. So having a coaching staff division of responsibilities that reflects that kind of makes some sense to me. But... I'm also open to a lot of other things there, too. Like This is one of those things where if you go back and listen to me over the years, it would almost sound like I was arguing with myself because I think at different times I've made different points. There was a point in the past where I was emphatic that you had to have a special teams coordinator. I was a very big believer that if you wanted good special teams – and if you wanted to actually treat it as if it was, as some coaches say, most coaches do say, a third of the game you know, as equal – to offense and defense then your coaching responsibilities needed to reflect that you couldn't have four different guys splitting up the various responsibilities that gave off the appearance that you just didn't take it all that seriously now i don't quite feel that way as much anymore um not i'm not trying to oversimplify uh special teams but i mean nobody's teaching these kickers how to kick anyway they're learning that before they even get to georgia uh they got their own private coaches they're working with on that for the most part and if you want to have good special teams then just put 11 good players out there on the field and let them go chase down the guy with the football that seems to work pretty well um that ultimately and this is the thing that uh the odc brings up in his comment which is true the biggest question to ask yourself is how do we get maximum impact on recruiting how do we do that and i would say well you know some of that it's also the individual attention the recruit gets once he comes on campus that makes them feel good about making that decision but odc is right about that that ultimately the division of responsibilities comes down to how do you cast the widest possible net for recruiting which is very very true uh fantastic six writes and to say along the lines of coaching changes i was thinking about this while listening to the podcast as long as kirby's the head coach we really should never worry too much about the defensive coaching positions strong defense is kirby's idea is george's identity with kirby and it's a very good feeling i think that's right and to go back to something that mike was talking about during the show a little earlier which is the hands-on involvement you get from kirby smart and you now you get that from will muschamp a former head coach but the current head coach kirby smart that hands-on you know moment during practice i've seen a lot of these in my my own eyes i haven't gone to practice probably in a couple of years but you know a couple of years ago when i was attending practice on a fairly regular basis uh at least for the media open portion smart was he was as active as any position coach working with those players and i think that's actually a real plus in recruiting that hey if you're a defensive back come here and get coached up by the head coach this is a um this is a football expert whose knowledge is valued to the tune of 
it's about to be maybe $10 million per season, but it's been seven or $8 million per season. That's how valuable his expertise is viewed to be. And he's going to give that training and that tutelage to you essentially for no additional charge for free. Like that's a pretty good recruiting perk. Uh, George defensive back would have with Kirby Smart's involvement. Uh, Mike Q also shares this, a site called pregame empire. You know, the, the meme of the, little kids swinging on the swing set while there's like a fire burning in the background this is i may do this for golden shooter it's really funny um uh he says uh uh this is auburn fans enjoying the basketball season while the football season an absolute mess that's actually really pretty funny uh very very funny stuff uh damn gucci dog also writes in to say call me crazy but Deion sanders may actually consider an assistance job in big time college football especially with a national champion in other words see if you can convince Deion sanders to not be head coach at jackson state be defensive backs coach at georgia i sort of think now Deion has worked his way to the head coaching ranks and i don't think he's voluntarily willing to step back from that uh i mean dion has got a lot of buzz around himself right now so i think he's probably pretty happy being a head coach but clearly, when it comes to interacting with recruits and 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 getting a lot of attention for doing that, Dion's been very good at that thus far. You got to you got to give him some some credit for that. I think. All right, so uh, good comments. Thanks for being here. RS Andrews Cooldown. Make sure you check them out online. RSAndrews.com. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, RS Andrews can replace it for you the same day. That's good news. So check them out there, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for checking us out on Dog Nation Daily. We'll look forward to talking to you then. <laughs>